second hour of tonight's Perspectives on America. Jeff Minute here for the next hour. Uh, extend my apologies to yesterday's rerun. It was nothing that was planned, but uh, several hours before uh, we were scheduled to go on the air, I became amazingly ill. I can't even explain to you what it was. I don't even want to tell you this story, but I actually wound up in ER last night. And uh, thankfully, nothing major, but um, uh, I've been clogged up for quite a while. And um, step by step, that that all began to uh, release several hours ago. <laughs> God, when does it all end? To finish the last hour, we shared an article that I wrote in uh, 2002. I was working on some stuff last night and came across a, a piece that I'd published on uh, originally on what is now Sierra Madre Precious Metals.com. And I decided it would be well worth our time to share this with you. It's called Beware the Ideas of Rare Coin Dealers. An expose of the pirates of the precious metals underworld and how you can truly protect your assets from them. Now there's a good number of you that have done business with us over the years. And I'm very proud of that. I've had maybe two clients that I have been had massive discomfort in working with since I entered the industry in 1991. But um, I've got extensively phenomenal relations with many, many original people I began dealing with back in the 1990s mid-1990s when I was first working with Robbie Noel and still work with those people today and others who are descendants of their parents. So what I'm about to share with you was excerpted from a series of emails which I began to receive on the evening of January the 18th of 2006 and due to lengthy email exchanges which took place even up through October of 2007. And I chose many years ago to repost this lengthy story, hoping to save others from similar fates. Now, if you are not familiar with gold and silver or the so-called rare coin market, which is loosely aligned with it, nor some of the reasons why these goods are sought after all over the world, then... Maybe what we're going to share with you will have little meaning to you. And yet it's our intent to educate you as to the pitfalls of what some call the industry. What follows this gentleman's original inquiry was my response to him and much more. His email stated, ladies and gentlemen, my spouse and I are about to become first-time investors in investment-grade coins, IGC. We've researched various websites and must ask in what manner do you arrive at the MS grade of your IGCs. It's our understanding that IGCs are generally scaled starting at MS 65 and higher, which is why we pose this question. 
Also, we've overlooked your daily prices for gold and silver coins on your website. Does one get this info solely by telephone? Should there be a financial crisis, i.e. a collapse of the U.S. dollar, how would the owner of IGCs redeem them for services or goods, etc.? It's our thinking that IGCs should could become a high-end means of bartering when considering the fact that financial institutions might not be available to transact the sale of gold to paper money. Yes? No? Lastly, do you sell IGCs via credit or debit card accounts? Thank you in advance for your response. Well, my response was, Good evening, sir, and thank you for your inquiry. You've opened up an interesting can of worms here, so please bear with me. The first thing I will say to you is buyer beware. The IGC, investment-grade coin, or a certified rare coin market, is a relatively thinly capitalized market, which has been abused by many an unscrupulous dealer over the past quarter of a century. And unfortunately, it is the buyer who is usually being abused. More on this topic shortly. As for daily prices on our website, you'll note that most of the coins represented are fairly generic in nature. Historic in value, but not what I would refer to as investment quality, other than investment for security against a faltering economy. Given the current financial situation our country finds itself in, what better time to address our financial foundation? Hence, what you see on our website. Prices change on a moment-to-moment basis. We can ill afford the necessary computer software, which would automatically adjust the prices with the changes in spot gold or silver. As I conduct business with each client in order to meet their specific needs, prices are locked in at the time of sale at the prevailing rate. However, however, at our firm, we offer a fairly simple procedure, which no one in the industry will offer. On fractional international gold specimens, your costs will range between 3 and 10% above our cost, depending on the item and the volume purchased. Our cost on those coins currently ranges between 3 and 6 dollars over melt value, with a few exceptions. As to your question as to how we arrive at the MS grade of the coins which we offer, that question would not apply to the coins mentioned in the previous paragraph, although most of those have never been placed into circulation and all of them were minted prior to 1933, making them at least historic in value. Your question would, however, apply to what you refer to as IGCs. These would be investment-grade coins, each of which will have been graded by a third-party, independent, professional grading service such as PCGS, that's Professional Coin Grading Service, or NGC, Numismatic Guarantee Corporation, or IGC, each recognized as standard bearers within the industry. In theory, The reference to MS-65 or higher being considered to be the most desirable is generally true. However, that does not mean that any MS-65 or higher will even be that desirable. If the supply is extremely low and there's no market for that item, then you have just become a collector, or you may never recover your investment. Also, one must understand that just because an MS-65 or MS-66 has been awarded that lofty level, certainly not the highest, no longer means that it will perform well. A common coin, no matter the grade, is still a common coin, and yet what you may be able to purchase that coin for may well position you for a pleasant surprise in the not-too-distant future. But in order to better understand this, please allow me to give you a little homework assignment before we speak. Based upon your comments and questions, I assume that you've been speaking with some other firms. I have no problem with this, as it can give you an eye-opening education. Homework. Assignment 1. Contact at least three firms of whom you may be familiar. They may be firms with whom you have spoken with or found on the Internet. 
ask of their current price on a common date, certified, slab-graded, MS-66, St. Gordon's $20 double eagle. Tell them that you're considering purchasing a number of them. Now, let's see what kind of quotes you get. I can guarantee you that several or all of them will be, as of January 19, 2006, in the $3,595 range. You may find slightly lower prices if you really push, but the standard in the industry for a specimen of that caliber is a 40% markup. Unacceptable in any industry, in my estimation. And that does not just apply to the higher-grade coins. Now you begin to see where the abuse comes in. Glowing promises will be made of how this coin once sold for X, and today with the current market conditions, they are poised for dramatic movement once more. Historically, when gold doubles in value, these coins gain at least three to four times. That's the kind of comments that are made to an unsuspecting prospective buyer, my friends. My continued response to the gentleman inquiring was, I am sorry, sir, gold has doubled in the past five years, and the certified high-grade coin market has remained relatively flat. Yes, there have been some gains, but nothing like those promised. Homework. Assignment two. Pick up the phone and call me, and then I'll tell you what our firm offers those very coins for. You'll be shocked at the difference. It's your money. You want the best value for it. And I will provide for that. I'd like both you and your wife to understand that I'm not against what you call IGCs. I'm just aghast at the hundreds of thousands of novices who are taken or built out of millions of dollars every year because of the hype of some slicky boy who sits on the phone and sells, yes, sells you a product which he or she knows nothing about. Just because some recruiter that he or she met at a bar told them how much money they could make as a broker in the rare coin business. Now, at this point in my commentary, this is, remember, this is our first response to this gentleman. I chose to extend some of my personal history, keeping in mind this goes back to 2006. I will be 58 in February of 2006. And if you can do the math, folks, this is now 2020. I will be 76 in just a few more days. When I was 10 years old, my grandfather sat me down in a bank vault, gave me quite a lesson in the history of money. On that very day, I began to purchase old silver dollars out of a bag, bag in that bank vault. Oh, you could still do that in 1958 when our money was still real. I paid a paper dollar for a silver dollar. I asked Grandpa while we were doing this, he said, son, one day they'll take the silver out of our money in the same manner that that son of a bitch Roosevelt did with our gold in 1933. Six years later, my grandfather was proven to be correct. Now, folks, you've heard me share that story with you many times over the years. It's a story that's actually true. Well, by the age of 12, my grandfather began to take me to coin auctions and estate sales, whereupon I began to purchase a few small, moderate gold coins. And as many of you may know, few people were able to own gold back then, other than in the form of jewelry or coin collections. Many who owned gold coins were still scared to death of the ghost of FDR and his gold-grabbing cohorts, but true coin collectors knew what the rules were and what they could legally own. And it was these people who my grandfather introduced me to. I have been a specie, a collector of species since that day. Yes, all these years later. I still occasionally go to auctions. I still purchase collector and investor-grade coins in gold, silver, nickel, and copper. 
I told the gentleman that sometimes I purchase for the same reason that you seem to be considering. Investment. Not so much for myself any longer, but for my granddaughters. It never dawned on me until I was 42 that one could actually make a comfortable living providing both investment-grade coins and security to desiring clients and collectors. At the time of my writing to him, 16 years later, I was still doing it. Many of the folks who you will talk to in this industry have been doing it for three years or less. They're still selling you what their bosses want you to buy, a bill of goods. They're all hopping in the bull marketing gold train. That's all they know. Enough on that topic. Consider the following. I continued. When building a home, where do you begin? Do you get a bunch of friends to come over on a Saturday afternoon to raise the barn? Do you start by putting up the walls first and then the trusses and the roof sheeting, etc.? Oops, baby. We got to get everybody back next Saturday to pour the foundation. Consider the purchase of gold and silver much like building that new home. You begin with the foundation. 90% junk silver, one ounce silver rounds, small fractional gold coins, all of which could be used for barter and trade. Once you have that first bag put together, then and only then do you want to consider filling your second bag with quality investment-grade coins. Maybe IGCs, but not necessarily so. There's rules of thumb. There's an old adage which says you buy silver to sell and gold to hold. In simple terms, it means that you sell silver when it has made you a killing of a profit or when you need to put a bag of groceries on the table, a gallon of milk, a loaf of bread, a pack of hot dogs. Like your checking account, it's to be used for your daily loaf of bread. But gold, you buy it to hold on to. That's for the reasons of which you've approached me until you just can't raise enough cash to replace the roof or pay the taxes. Gold should be used like a savings account, a security blanket. Can you eat it? No, but for thousands of years throughout the world, gold and by extension silver can in many cases be used for barter or converted into the local currency of choice. Allow me, I continue to address the financial crisis portion of your note. It might simply, it's quite simply contrary to what you may have been told, and I can fairly well guess by whom, during a financial crisis or collapse of the U.S. dollar. No one is going to care that you own an MS anything. Now, if I've not shared this with you in today's program, MS means mint state. Coins that were struck by a government, they were meant to be spent or circulated, but were never put into circulation. And they're very high-grade coins. MS-65, 66, up through 69. Occasionally, you'll find an MS-70. Yes, those are much higher-grade collector's pieces. No marks, no scratches, no are very moderate. They've survived the system quite well. But no one during tough times is going to give a damn. When our system gets to the point of financial Armageddon, and all fiat systems do, all anyone will care about is the weight of the gold or silver. Rarity and grade will become valueless. And the only people who are going to want it will be the robber barons who are left. And they'll want to steal it from you at cents on the dollar. Recently, I continued with a modern horror story. Now, keep in mind that some of what I'm about to share with you, I've not updated. As far as dates and figures, but the basis of what you're going to listen to or hear will... Give some interesting lessons. 
Recently, I began, I had a gentleman contact me from Texas who in the year 2000 came to a personal decision that he wanted to diversify his investments into gold. He set out to find a dealer who would provide the basic, simple ounces of gold that he felt would fit his needs. And because of an ad he'd heard on the radio, he contacted a rare coin firm in New Jersey who smoothly convinced this gentleman to purchase a selection of certified slabbed rare coins, promising him multitudes of profit in the few short years to come. Except the profits never came. And even though he had been told that when gold doubles in value, these rare coins traditionally have tripled or quadrupled in value. Well, at the time that I wrote this piece and my comment to the gentleman who contacted me, I said, since the year 2000, gold has more than doubled in value. And yet the value of this man's rarities had declined by over 52%, in part because he had purchased common-day generic coins at industry-standard overinflated prices. And I kid you not about the estimated 40% markup. So the man's original $19,000 investment brought him no more than $9,052 in October of 2005. And yet, if he'd only placed his original investment into common bullion coins, American Eagles or Canadian Maple Leafs, or even nineteen pre-1933 British sovereigns, the genuine coin of the realm, his holdings by October of of, 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 of 2007 would have been valued at approximately $51,000. In late November of 05, my new client had started over, was on his way to recovering the losses of his ill-advised investment and the barter exchanging of a quarter ounce of gold would be a lot easier than swapping an MS-65 common date double eagle for a double cheeseburger at Mickey D's. So I concluded this first discussion with this prospective client by stating, first, I believe that I can help you after you do your homework. I will be able to assist you in determining exactly what it is that you and your wife are attempting to accomplish. It will be from that point that we can determine the wisest path for your portfolio. And I do hate that worth, I said. As to your financial question at our firm, the acceptable forms of payment are personal check or bank wire transfer. The credit card companies are making too much of your information available to those who don't need to know. And besides, they charge us 3% on the gross sale. In order to keep our prices down, we can ill afford to absorb that those expenses. As I intimated at the outset, this will be a lengthy response, yet I hope that it has been helpful. I am by no means attempting to sway you away from your initial direction, but by education. Attempting to help you redirect your thoughts on the issue, I would be happy to assist you in these endeavors and be proud to serve you and your family for years to come. That was the end of the first part of the conversation that I had with this gentleman. It's a lot for even those of you out there to think about. Those of you who aren't interested have probably already tuned out. They don't listen to this nonsense. Or you called your broker and said, tune into this guy. You got to listen. He's making bad mouth to you. I don't really care. I don't really care. Part two. The ideas of rare coin dealers. We pick up with a continuation of this email dialogue, which I'd been conducting with this potential client from the East Coast. His response to me was, whew, what a great and educational response to our questions. Please refer below to my response and or questions to your comments. We appreciate the time and consideration you're providing us. I appreciate the two rules of thumb. Yes, we want to invest in gold and silver primarily to prepare for a potential collapse of the U.S. dollar. 
Other websites have indicated one should avoid buying gold and silver bullion because the government could do again what it did during the Roosevelt years and confiscate it. But the government cannot legally confiscate coins. Now, we take this with a grain of salt so you can shed light on the issue. You say that in a crisis, the weight of gold and silver is what anyone will care about. Thus, bullion would work well as coins, right? Also, my brother-in-law says that buying with gold and silver during a financial crisis would likely invite aggravate theft. There's truth to that logic. So would it be wise to retain gold and silver in a bank safe deposit box or in the home under lock and key? But also we've read that banks can legally deny its customers access to their safe deposit boxes during a financial crisis, yes or no? Allow me to interject, dear listeners. These very things are happening in this country today. Worse, I think we just did a piece a couple weeks ago about a guy whose who's, um, bank vault was gotten into and wiped out. We've looked at other stories of banks just flat shutting down. Massive fraud going on. Bank accounts being totally wiped out. Banks doing nothing to come back and protect you, their client. My client continues by saying, as you know, I am an IRS employee and have participated for years in our thrift savings program. And though my funds are providing excellent returns, I'm reading and sensing that I'd be wise for me to take a loan on a portion of those funds to apply towards the purchase of gold and silver. Of course, some folks think I'm foolhardy because the price of gold is so high right now, but we think it's a wise move because it's a, an investment that will provide an added and lifelong sense of security for us, our children, our grandchildren. I'm awaiting word on my loan application that will provide ten to $15,000 for these investments. Well, on the face and delivery of your response, you seem like a damn nice guy and a straight shooter, this observation comes from a guy who served in various capacities as an Army recruiter for 10 years. Your response to these questions will be appreciated. Thank you again. You know, it's interesting when I read the kind of comments the gentleman has left. He's obviously let some folks know what he's considering doing. He wants their input. He wants their honest opinion. My advice to you, dear listener, is you do not ever share that information with anyone. Maybe somebody you've known for 40, 50 years. Maybe it's your brother. Maybe it's somebody. All it takes is the wrong person to say the wrong thing to someone. And, well, I've shared this story with you over the years. One of my earliest clients was a, 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 a an airline mechanic for one of the major airlines. And he would begin to buy from me. Every single time that he'd get his order, he'd man, he'd run it down there to where he worked and go showing it off to all his buddies. Well, his buddy said something to somebody, and he got robbed. Broke into his house, found his goods, and took off with it all. Amazing. My continuation with the response to the client, the respective client, I said, well, mistakes do happen, and given the time of the year it is for you, I'll allow it. The name is Jeff, not Bill. Just fun on you, so don't be concerned. I'm also happy you took the time to read before we got together because it clears up a lot of detail early on. And I hope has answered as many questions as it raised, and it sounds like it has. As to your next set of questions, as a rule, I make bullion coins available to clients who are absolutely insistent. However, I do not personally own any for the reasons everyone in the industry acknowledges. Yes, a fear of the ghost of Roosevelt. In 1975, when our privilege was restored, allowing us the ability to own gold once more, it was just that, a privilege. 
granted by Big Brother. It's commonly believed by most that at the time of FDR's dastardly deed that we were the only ones being raped. In fact, we were the last. The die had already been cast amongst the so-called free nations of the world, and the global depression was upon us all. Paragraph 2, Section B of Roosevelt's executive order specifically exempted coins having, quote, a recognized special value to collectors from the the confiscatory requirements of the executive order of April 5th, 1933. Now, for those of you who may have an interest... If you go to our website, SierraMadrePreciousMetals.com, there is a section of categories, per se, that are listed not on the right-hand side column, but directly under the headline title, the top of the site. And there's one section called Why Gold? Click on that. You will open up a page that will have a series of different things that you can read. And one of them is, in fact, Roosevelt's executive order. I'm not going to spend time discussing it today. I've shared with you parts of the story in the past. Roosevelt was an avid stamp collector. And many of his buddies were coin collectors. And they went to Fred, to, to FDR, and said, look, Franklin, booby, baby, look, you're a stamp collector. What happens if you had done this? Everybody had to turn in all the stamp. We're coin collectors. You're going to make us turn on our lifelong savings, our, our coins, blah, blah, blah. They made some modifications, allowed us to maintain a so-called collection of gold coins, even back in 1933 and 34. So long as we had different dates, different denominations, etc., etc. All of that was upgraded in 1954 and improved upon. That's for another story for another day. From our catalog, which I just realized I've got to make an area. It says, from the Kettle Moraine Precious Metals Silver Catalog. There is no Kettle Moraine Precious Metals any longer. It's just Kettle Moraine Limited or Sierra Madre. It states in here, the provisions of the Gold Reserve Act of 1934 and the executive orders and banking laws of 33, which originally demonetized and confiscated all outstanding gold in the United States, prohibited the individual possession of gold bullion or any other recognizable use of gold as a store of value. However... They permitted the retention of gold coins of recognizable numismatic value. Failure of the original legislation to define adequately what constituted recognizable numismatic value caused considerably confusion for some years. But in general, the parts of the gold regulations concerning numismatics were not rigidly enforced, at least not to the point of harassing collectors of gold coins. 1954, Treasury Department recognized at last that the time had come to legitimize the numismatic gold market. Consequently, an amendment was made to the gold regulations to the effect that all gold coins minted prior to 1933 would subsequently be presumed to be rare and of recognized special value to collectors without the necessity of further specific determinations by the Treasury. All U.S. gold coins and the vast majority of foreign gold coins were thus freed from the overhanging threat of confiscation. End. Well, let's be honest. Anyone who says that they can't take it's a fool. Just consider the economics of the land today and the indebtedness of our nation to the world. The piper must be paid at some point. The gold has proven to be the answer throughout history, my friends. And so my question to the prospective client was, would it be wise to retain gold and silver in a bank safe, deposit box, or in the home under lock and key? Also, we've read that banks can legally deny its customers access to their safe deposit box during a financial crisis, yes or no. 
Remember, that's the question the client posted to me. My response was, your brother-in-law is not totally incorrect. However, if I am to own specie, I want as few people to know about it as is possible. And I most certainly would not put it into the hands of the international banksters. Get your own safe. As relates to the bank's ability to block you from your goods during a financial crisis, the answer to that question, of course, is yes. If you do nothing else, don't wait until next Christmas. Watch the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, as you consider your own question. Fear was put into the minds of the depositors of the Bailey Building and Loan, and it created a run on the institution. And it's just a small example of what Roosevelt did during his first week in office and a sign of what was to follow. This happened in about 1992 to a bank in Texas on a Friday afternoon when the FDIC took possession and prevented depositors from gaining access to their accounts until later the following week. And that included their deposit box full of their goods. Stating what I have about bullion and overpriced by most dealers' numismatics, please allow me to suggest several alternatives for your consideration. And given the statements made within the above section from my catalog, there are alternatives, small fractional gold coins from around the world, which are considered to have historical value and would include carefully selected affordable American issues. Once again, I'm not against putting funds in certified high-grade coins. However, with the funds you've suggested you're going to work with at this time, prudence would be wise. If you had 10 times that amount to begin with, my recommendation would be the same, except that I might suggest 20 to 25% of those kinds of funds going into selected true rarities. I may cover this more toward the end of this lengthy response. But I think there are numerous variables which I'm not privy to at this point which can make a difference in your own decision. Your age, how close to retirement, the ages of your children, what are your short-term goals, long-term goals, financially and otherwise, and your own honest opinion of where you believe the economy of this nation is headed. In your case, it must be difficult to separate church and state, so to speak. I do not envy you in that respect. For those of you who have stayed with us, you may realize what I was making the statement to him. He talked about where I believe the economy of the nation is headed. And in his case, must be difficult to separate church and state. Remember, the gentleman is an IRS agent. As to gold being high priced right now, it's compared to what? Five years ago? Of course. The reality is that while gold has more than doubled in the past five years, the dollar at this time, still the international currency of choice, has lost half of its real purchasing power. Your wife can see that when she goes to the market. You can both see it at the gas pump. Neither of these two items are included in the real inflation figures being dispensed out of Washington as they were 25 years ago when inflation was acknowledged at 20 to 22 percent. At the time, gold went to $850 an ounce. The truth is that the great Walmart of China is both a blessing and a curse to this nation, providing products at lower cost than anyone else on the planet, all while we finance our own demise by selling our country to China. If they cash in their American chips, we might as well cash in ours, but not in the same fashion. At the time of my writing to this client, I told him that for over six millennia, gold and silver had provided a stable foundation for any family, merchant, or nation who had had the wisdom to hold on to it. Why do governments teach us to believe that gold is an archaic relic, but they clearly hold over 70% of the world's known supply? They still trade with it amongst themselves, and yet they tell us to do as we say, not as we do. My personal goals are for my grandchildren as I continue, no matter the cost, to add to their holdings. 
as with your own children. And what are their chances in the future if we do not lay down a solid foundation for them today? I continued. The economists from around the world, those who have nothing to gain by the sale of gold or silver, believe that we have only just now entered the second leg of this long-term upward trend. There are those who estimate gold may reach as high as two or $3,000 an ounce. I pray not, for it is truly all over. I tend to be more conservative at 1000 to $1,500, and yet if all gold should do is reach its previous peak of 850 silver could easily go from its present value of about $9 an ounce to 50 bucks an ounce or more. I'll let you do the math. Now, my friends, keep in mind that all of this was written some years ago in 2006, 2007. We are now currently sitting at $2,000 plus or minus a little bit gold. But silver... They're holding it down. It makes no sense. But my question to him was, does that mean that you should do a complete turnaround and put all your money into silver? I don't recommend it. Silver is much heavier and too bulky to transport quietly. But based on general assumptions and not having answers to the rhetorical questions I posed to you above, my recommendations to you might include the following. One, approximately 5 to 20% of your designated funds into silver. As to what type, either junk silver or pure one-ounce silver rounds or American silver eagles. Secondly, approximately 60 to 80% of your funds into a diversified selection of gold coins. Offering your family security against the continual foolishness and mismanagement by polyanetitians growth potential, minimal downside risk in the beginning of what would prove to be a lifelong love of coin collecting. We'll talk about that more in detail when we speak, I said. And number three, there are some exceedingly spectacular arenas and high-grade numismatics which no one has probably shared with you. And we can talk about them, and you might find them of interest to the fact that you can acquire higher grade than in gold for far less money. And historically, they have outperformed. Whether gold or silver have moved or not, therefore, you might consider earmarking up to 20% of your funding into that arena. So now allow me to tell you about my then, by the way, five-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. She's grown up in my offices, my studios, and knows what real money is. And when she comes over to the house, she says, Do you have any gold monies, Dado? Once again, I continued. I hope that my commentary has enlightened your thoughts on the subject. I hope I've answered your questions. I look forward to speaking with you at your convenience. Since the original publication of all that I've just shared with you in January of 2006, spot gold has gone from $535 an ounce to in October of 2007, up to 750 an ounce. That was a 40% increase. Ultimately, by 2017, it reached nearly $1,900 an ounce for just a few short days or whatever. And now, of course, it's slightly better than that. Some better date certified $20 U.S. gold coins have lost more than 50% of what unwitting customers paid for them. From the wholesale level, that's the, the wholesale level. That's the price dealers must pay the importer or the suppliers. Common dates have stayed about even. In the scheme of things, and it is a scheme, in all these years, I've known of only three investors who actually made money after having purchased common date historic pre-1933 U.S. gold coins. And so I submitted to him, if you're truly concerned with protecting your wealth, then you'd be advised to stay away from the Zurich Americans and the coin companies named after private jets and muffler repair establishments, or you might drown in one of those 10,000 lakes. And I gave him more to consider. Saturday, October 20th, 2007. I received an email from a gentleman who had been sold a group of 11 MS-63 PCGS NGC certified U.S. $20 Liberty Double Eagles. 
The first coin was sold to him in September of 03, the final coin in July of 06. Part of the sales hook was that each of the 11 coins were San Francisco mint issued, minted from 1892 through 1902. Well, frankly, these are nice coins to have and to hold, but part of a complete collection, which might include a complete run of the San Francisco issued coins in the series, beginning with 1877 and continuing through 1907. And this would be for the Type 3 series alone. The man paid $40,000. Inflated retail. If he'd come to Kettle Moraine back then, the total cost would have ranged between $29,350 to $31,680 at that time. And yet he paid $40,000. And then it gets even crazier. By October of 07, $16,549. The client had experienced a loss of nearly 60% of what he'd originally paid. He would have lost far less money dealing with Kettle Marine, but the point is he still might have lost due to the market conditions, not because he'd been ripped off to begin with. And since the time of his first coin purchase in September of 03 until October of 07, gold had more than doubled. Spot gold on the original day of the man's purchase was $376 an ounce. On October 31st, 2007, it was nearly $796. How could the guy lose that much money? Because we weren't even talking about true rare date coins. That's a completely different kind of market. Much as collectible, rare works of art by the masters. In addition, we're not talking about what the coins were sold for in January of 06, but what their real value was at the time, not the inflated market created by a suspect band of pirates. My God. If this client had put his original $40,000 just into the old mundane British sovereigns, he could have sold out his position on October the 31st of 2007 and realized a net profit in excess of $34,000. Something's wrong, people. You know, in a discussion with my importer in late October of 07, my representative admitted to me that I was correct. Even though the value of gold had more than tripled in the previous six years, in fact, the real wholesale value of common date certified non-rarities had in fact remained flat and in many cases actually declined. You got to remember, because this guy's a broker representative I work with, he's paid to sell me stuff. April 30th, 2013, upon Further consideration of the previous reference client, his holdings of British sovereigns today would have a conservative value in excess of $132,554. That's true wealth preservation. The client's original purchase of 11 MS63S minted gold pieces were currently worth about half of what he paid for them, all due to the greed of a rare coin pitchman. Spots kept going up. Unbelievable. You know, in the early 1900s, as many of you know, I represented a well-known national rare coin firm in the southwest part of the country. And the actual motto of the sales manager, whom we referred to as Straw Boss, was... This shit isn't for buying, it's for selling. Huh? So much for the Christian attitude of preserving the client's wealth. Stick with the volume purchase of private gold and you'll actually come out much further ahead, both in wealth preservation and probable financial gain. 
And so in my closing discussion, I said, all I can do is advise you to beware the ides of the rare coin pitchman. As the buyer of those overpriced rarities rarely comes out ahead. Your broker is called broker for a reason. Once you've purchased the overpriced coins, you are the one who is broker. Buy gold and silver, but buy them wisely. And I closed. Without apology, I am Jeffrey Bennett, president of Kettle Moraine LTD. For many of you, this is a very long, drawn-out presentation. But it's one that I should have shared a very long time ago. (laughs) A very, very long time ago. And maybe I have in the past shared this entire commentary. I have no idea. I lose track. It's just so amazing. Just so amazing. I hope that I've not confused or scared the living daylights out of you folks. Your problem is most folks you will ever deal with in the precious metals market will never take the time to share with you what I've shared with you. It's all about the almighty buck, the quick buck, what goes into their pockets, their boss's pockets, and how much they can get out of your pocket. Those things anger me. Tomorrow's what, Friday? I guess so. I uh, lose track of time. I had uh, a friend come over today to help me out, do some stuff, and we accomplished about an hour's worth of work. It was my goal to do get some other stuff done. I got limitations to what I can do. This clogging that I've had has really bothered me lately and finally addressed it last night and dealt with it thus far what I'm doing has worked extremely well but there are times that uh, my sleeping habits are horrendous maybe because I just want to shut down I don't want to think about it or feel what I'm feeling I do feel badly because I had quite a interesting Health-related program due yesterday. We didn't get to it. That's how it goes. (laughs) You let me know when you're ready for that closing piece. I don't know how long of a piece it is, but if it'll fill up the time, let's rock and roll with it. Did a whole bunch of Eagles stuff today. Glenn Fry, Don Henley. It all fit, didn't it? Dirty Laundry, End of the Innocence. Boy, that one sure fits. The Heat is On, which is what we're going to be closing on here with just a couple of minutes. Hope you're enjoying it. I'm I'm doing some unusual things music-wise lately. Each one of these makes a statement in the condition we're in as a peoples, as a nation. But unfortunately, a lot of it has to do with what's going on around the world. Doesn't it? (laughs) You guys have a good weekend. Lord willing, I'll be back with you on Tuesday. If you want to talk, give me a call, 602-799-8214. Glad to help you out. Have a good week.
votes for this title man that we elected king. Armchair warriors often fail. We've been poisoned by these fairy tales. Lawyers clean up all details since daddy hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs. For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. This is RBN, the Republic Broadcasting Network. 